Thank you for coming to the podcast. Top Turtle MMA podcast on flowcombat.com is brought to you by my favorite MMA and BJJ clothing brand. I, of course, am talking about ADK Fightwear, a family-owned fightwear clothing company based in the Adirondack Mountains of New York. They give you high-quality gear with simple but sick graphics. So where whether you are training to win the next ADCCs, to fight in the octagon, or just to get in a really good shape, meet them at the top of whatever mountain you climb. And you can meet them at the top now by going to adkfightwear.com and entering promo code TURTLE. That's promo code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, for 10% off your first order there. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode and these interviews with Cody Stamen and Ray Longo, and it all starts right now. Gumby Ringland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and we have the pleasure today of speaking to the Spartan Cody Stammen, who fights Brian Caraway at UFC 222 on March 3rd. Uh, Cody, let, let's start with a, a question about uh, your upcoming opponent. Brian Caraway hasn't fought in almost two years. Uh, are you finding it difficult to prepare for a guy who has like no recent fights in which you can study? No, because I feel like Brian Kerry is one of those guys that has been the, the same guy his entire fighting career. He's like a boxer wrestler. Uh, he throws the same punches in all of his fights, maybe a little bit sharper. Um, I think he was a little bit more explosive when he was younger, um, but his technique was worse. His technique's gotten a little better, but he's a lot less explosive. I mean, so I have a really good idea as to, you know, what he's going to come out and do. I just don't see him, you know, having battled injuries. I don't see him coming out and being a different athlete. Um, I think he's going to have the same mentality, same everything that he's had in all of his fights. So, uh, actually, he's a pretty easy guy to prepare for. Yeah, I, I guess that's true, too. Yeah, he, he is pretty predictable uh, with that wrestle-heavy approach. He shot eight takedowns in his last fight, and that was pretty much the average for what he usually does. You haven't really fought many wrestlers in your career. Uh, how, do you, how do you feel you're prepared to fight with a guy with a wrestling pedigree like Brian Caraway? Uh, You know, being from the Midwest... Actually, you know, as an amateur, um, almost every single guy I fought was a was a wrestler, um, and a few guys, uh, a few pretty decorated wrestlers, as a professional too. Uh, and I do really, really well against those kind of guys. Like I said, my my background, you know, I've been wrestling pretty much my whole life, um, and and my MMA wrestling is is really good, especially my takedown defense. You don't you don't see me uh, on my butt or on my back ever in a fight because I just don't get taken down. Um, so you know, against Caraway, you know, I've long thought this was a really good matchup for me just because of the way he fights and uh honestly as far as you know fighting records or fighting uh wrestlers as a professional i've knocked every single one out so uh i'm looking to continue that streak uh march 3rd yeah and so you you pointed out too that you like this matchup uh and you like it for many reasons right it's it's a wrestler but on top of that you've got a chance here to sort of crack into the top 10 here you're fighting the number seven ranked guy in your division from an unranked position, which doesn't happen all that often, are you surprised that this is the fight you got uh, before being ranked? No, I uh, I was asking for a top ten guy. Um, I, I told my manager this is the fight that I wanted. I wanted a guy in the top ten. Yeah, I didn't want to be one of those guys that that hung out um, and kind of fought unranked guys. I feel like every time I get in there, you know, I should always be looking to uh, to 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 further myself in my career, you know, if I'm, if I'm fighting guys that are ranked similar to me, then, you know, I'm not doing that. I need to, I need to push it. I know that I have the ability to fight guys in the top 10. So, you know, when Brian Caraway's name came up, uh, 
there was no hesitation. I mean, I signed a contract that day. And, and, you know, you mentioned asking your manager for this and then them coming to you with it. Was this a name that the UFC kind of came up with, or was this somebody you and your management was asking for? Um, it was, uh, I think, a little bit of a combination of both, honestly. Um, he was the only guy in the top ten that really didn't have anything scheduled. Um, originally, uh, I was potentially going to fight Pedro Munoz in Brazil, but he got uh, John Dotson. And, uh, so Brian Carey was like the second guy in line. And, um, yeah, like I said, it just so happened that he got hurt in December, but apparently no, you know, he's healthy and ready to fight. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been asking for that kind of opponent and poof, you know, it happened. And it, I'm really, really fortunate. Um, you know, timing is everything. I'm really fortunate that everything worked out in my favor. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you, so you, you sort of mentioned that, you know, he backed out of a fight or two, and not just with you, but a couple of fights. Is, is there sort of any concern that he's kind of like one of the most injury-prone guys in the division and uh, that this fight might not come down? Well, I might kill him myself if he uh, pulls out <laughs> now. I mean, we're, the, we're within two weeks. Um, yeah, if he pulls out now, I'm going to be really upset. Um, I think he's going to make it. You know, I've been I've been praying for him almost every day praying that he's going to stay healthy long enough for me to beat him up. Um, so, uh, he, 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 he would really, he really put a really bad label on himself. If he gets hurt, like within, you know, <laughs> within these next two weeks, because I mean, any legit professional athlete knows like these last two weeks are pretty much just to like make weight and stay sharp. Like you're not killing your body in the gym and sparring and doing all that crazy stuff. Um, so yeah, if he gets, uh, if he gets hurt now, I'd say it's more of a mental excuse than anything. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with you on that one. So, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about your past performances too, because coming into the UFC, uh, you've had mostly finishes, you know, a bunch of knockouts, a handful of submissions. Uh, but since coming to the UFC, you're two and zero with two pretty hard fought decisions against some top notch guys. Do you feel any pressure at UFC 222 to get the finish? Yeah, you know, uh, those fights. Those, you know, my, my UFC debut, seven days notice, um, you know, I didn't really have a, I didn't really have a gas tank to, uh, really go in there and, and put the show on. And that last fight, uh, I felt like in that third round, I really could have pushed more. I could have, I could have gave more and, and potentially gotten that finish, but, uh, I almost fought a little bit safe. I mean, this, in this fight, I really feel like, you know, Carrie is a guy that's never been put away in the UFC. Um, and I want to be the first guy to do it. You know, I've been uh, I've been working a lot on power, uh, and every, everything is kind of, you know, coming together. You know, now that my main focus is just is just fighting, uh, I feel like my technique has gotten so much sharper and so much faster that uh, you know, eventually, Brian's going to make a mistake, and I'm going to put him out. So, so you mentioned there too. I got I got to back it up just a second. You said now that your your primary focus or your main focus is just fighting. What was your focus before? Were you working another job? Were you you uh, you know doing something else that took time away? So yeah, I worked for my parents' restoration company part time, um, and then you know I've always I've always trained people and uh, helped helped a lot at that Michigan Top Team. Um, so I, it, it's more of a you know juggling act. Uh, you know you got to make money and do things. Um, you know, obviously to live, and then you know fighting kind of took took the background to a lot of stuff um before but now now being that my main my absolute main uh source of income is fighting and 
it's my it's my entire life. You know what I mean? It's it's always kind of ran my life, but now uh, it runs my life financially and uh, in every other aspect. So uh, my, now that my main focus is fighting, it just gives me so much more time and so much more structure with my workouts. I feel like I'm doing everything right as a professional athlete now to where before, you know, I kind of, a lot of things had to suffer, but now, you know, everything is, uh, is on point. Well, that, that sounds absolutely awesome. We're, we're glad to hear that. Um, let, let's talk a little bit more about your division too, because obviously uh, that, it's in a very interesting place right now and you're, you know, poised to, to jump right towards the top of that. So the Bantamweight division right now is as crowded as ever. You got TJ Dillashaw, you got Cody Garbrand, you got Dominic Cruz, Jimmy Rivera's right there, Marlon Marais. There, there's tons of names right at the top, but the champ looks like he's heading to flyweight for a fight. What do you make of that choice and sort of how it affects your division in the long term? Yeah, you know, I think, well, he goes to flyweight. I think there should definitely be an interim title fight, um, and then he should have to come back and, and, and fight again uh, just because – Going that long without a title fight is it's hard, you know. Look at, uh, you know, last year I think there was only two fights to the belt because, you know, Garbrandt was hurt for a long time. TJ had to wait, you know, before he could get he could get him a shot at it. So, uh, and there's a lot of guys deserving. You know, Riviera is one of those guys that, has, you know, I think won every single one of the UFC fights. Uh, Marlon Reyes is an absolute killer. Um, you know, I'm going to be in that mix here, you know, really soon. So th- there needs to be there needs to be more consistency that, you know, if if TJ is going to 25, then, you know, great. That would be an awesome fight. I'd be excited as a fan to see that fight. Uh, you know, so it's none but, nothing but, you know, good good things for, for our division because there would be a lot of eyes on that fight. But um, I also think there should be an interim title fight and, you know, someone else should get a shot to move up. Yeah, and you, you sort of mentioned, too, that you're, uh, you're, you're heading towards that list of names, those, like, four or five guys that we just mentioned. Uh, obviously not looking ahead of Brian Caraway before your fight with him, but how do you feel you match up with some of those top guys in the division? Is there anybody you're uh, looking at for after this? Uh, I thought about you know fighting all of them. Honestly, God, I mean, I've 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 watched all their fights, probably every single one of their UFC fights. I've studied the sport religiously. Uh, you know, I feel like I match up. I could get ready and beat any single one of those guys. I feel like if you're you're in this sport and you see a guy in your division and you're like, you know what, I absolutely couldn't beat that guy. Um, you're in the wrong sport because uh, this is a sport. Uh, a lot of those battles are are won, you know, mentally before you ever get in that cage. And if, if you honestly think that you can't beat the guy at the top, uh, you know, I wouldn't even do it if I didn't if I didn't consider the fact that I could beat them. Um, you know, I think it's just a timing thing. I think it's just uh, an experience thing. Uh, you know, I need to get a couple more fights under my belt, and you know, I think I could beat anybody in the world. And it, I just continue to get better and improve. My game, you know, I'm really, I'm really critical uh, about, you know, my abilities and understanding that, you know, I'm not perfect and I'm not the man yet, but uh, someday I will be. Yeah, I love that quiet confidence, and that actually leads into the perfectly to the last question I was going to ask you. So, you know, you're not the type of guy who's out there pumping yourself out on social media all the time. You, we can tell you just in the 10 minutes we spent together, you're super humble. But let's use this podcast as your chance. Uh, to sort of call your shot. What are your, sort of your expectations for 2018 for Cody Stammen? Where do you see yourself when this year's all over? Well, first, I'm going to knock the shit out of Brian Caraway, uh in two weeks, less than two weeks. Um, I don't be in the top ten. I'm looking for a top five guy. You know, uh, John Lineker and Rafael Sonsa are two guys that I thought about fighting for a long time. And then, you know, after beating one of those guys, uh, I feel like I'm in that contender list. I'm, I'm one of the guys that could be fighting for the title. 
if anything happens to, you know, TJ Cody or, you know, Dominic Cruz, um, or, you know, if the, one of those guys uh, needs another fight before they can get in the title, I feel like I'm the guy they fight. And then, you know, you beat one of those guys, and I'm going to be a guy that's going to have that belt on his place someday. Uh, you know, 2018 is definitely going to be a breakout year for me at the end of the season. There's no question that, you know, I'm absolutely one of the best bandwidths on the planet and that someday I'm going to be the champ. Well, we're certainly looking forward to it because it could be and while very well will be uh, a very bright year for Cody Stamen. Once again, Cody Stamen fights Brian Caraway at UFC 222 on March 3rd. Uh, Cody, we thank you so much again for the time. Yeah, thank you. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland from FlowCombat.com's Top Turtle MMA, and I have the pleasure today of speaking to coach and owner of Longo and Weidman MMA, Ray Longo. And uh, Ray, we're going to start today by talking a little bit about some uh, some of your fighters. Let's start with uh, probably the most famous and co-owner of your gym here, uh, Chris Weidman. So Weidman has come out in really recent times talking about how he thinks he's probably deserving for the next title shot against uh robert whitaker what do you think he's in line for is he in line for that title shot and if so sort of make your case for him uh well first of all i think dana already announced that romero's getting the shot at whitaker so i think the logical progression would probably be chris fights jacare and the winner of that fight will get the winner of whitaker romero that's the way it seems like they've already laid it out to me so that that's interesting that you said that too because you know I, I thought that that was the natural progression as well but it it seems like some people lobbying for him to get right in there. What do you like about a matchup with Jacare uh, who is coming off such a dominant win? Uh well you know I think uh, you know Chris is you know I, I hope he's back on track you know with the uh, uh, with the Gastelum fight. I think Gastelum is no joke. He's proven it. He's walked through every middleweight except for Chris. Uh, I think uh, Chris can control the stand-up in that fight, and I think that's going to be the difference. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, too, there, in that, uh, you know, Gaslam was sort of a big win. Let, let's talk about that one a little bit, too. Uh, I was there in Long Island. That place was absolutely electric. As a Long Island guy, uh, what did that win mean to you as both Chris's coach a Long Island guy, and watching Chris win so close to home. I got to tell you, man, that was one of the best moments of my coaching career. And the funny thing about that was that at the weigh-in, there was not a big turnout. So I'm like, wow, I wonder if is Long Island going to support this guy or what's going to go, what's going to happen. But, man, when we were walking walking out through the uh, corridor there, at the place, like and you said, you were there, so you know it. It was about as electric as a place could be. And I think, you know, who knows? That could have been the difference in the fight. I think he, he rallied. He got knocked down. He got back up. You know, he went right back on the attack, and he got the finish. But uh, the place was electric. It was great. I don't say it. it was great, really, uh, experience in that. We didn't get that type of response at the Garden. And, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing better than being from Long Island and a place where you grew up watching concerts and fights and hockey and everything else uh yeah it was great man it was a, that was really really a good moment i think it gave him great momentum uh for the next obviously he's got a little setback he detached the tendon in his thumb when he had that fight and uh you know i think once he's healthy and we get him back on track you know when he's 
focused he's a handful for anybody, literally. And that division right now is wide open. Yeah, and, and you said it 100% too. There, there are lots of guys at the top, but it seems wide open about who can kind of take control. So you, you kind of mentioned that you thought Whitaker in, in Romero, especially given that that's what Dana said, uh, is next on the docket. What do you personally think of that matchup in, uh, you know, one of those guys being somebody that Chris has fought? Uh, I think uh, Whitaker gets the job done again. I think he did a great job in the first fight, and it looked like he fought the majority of that fight with an injury. Uh, I think he just, you know, I think the key to beating Romero is just to set a great pace. He likes to fight in spurts, obviously, and explode. Uh, and I think that's what Whitaker does. He's just got a lot of movement for him. He's in, he's out, he's all over the place. And I think he just, uh, he's just too, uh, too mobile and too fast for that guy. So I think that's the difference. If you look at Rocco, Rocco let him set the pace of that fight. He let him fight when he wanted to fight. And that was his, <clears throat> I think that was his biggest mistake. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I like that you kind of mentioned that too, that, um, you know, looking back at that fight, they let Romero set the pace, uh, and, and Whitaker doesn't do that. What about Chris's matchup with Whitaker, if that does become the matchup down the road? Uh, how do you think Chris does uh, against the guy who does do a really good job of setting the pace like Robert Whitaker? You know, I, I think that it, it's going to be similar to the Gastelum. I think Chris is physically the bigger guy, and I think he imposes his wrestling and I think, again, I think that's going to be the difference. He'll go to where he's really comfortable and try to uh, break him down that way. And I think that's kind of what happened with Gaslam. He was just too big for him. And I think uh, Whitaker, although he's doing phenomenal at 185, you know, he's probably a uh, 175-pounder. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, the size and the physicality of Chris with his wrestling pedigree and the stand-up is getting better and better every time. He's very powerful. Uh, I think, again, that's the difference in that fight. I, I view it similar to, like, a Gastelum fight. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's so smart, too, that, that clearly um, those two guys, if there were an in-between weight class, would be the king of those, but the size may eventually catch up with them. Uh, speaking of that, I, I want to sort yeah. of talk about your, your ideas in coaching here, because obviously I want to ask you about your fighters, but, you know, when we get a mind like this on the show, we like to be able to talk to them about their, their coaching ideas. So... When we interview fighters, a lot of them say that they don't really care what their opponent is going to do. They're just going to focus on what they do really well. How much is that as a re realistic expectation? And how much is it really, really important to game plan for your opponent's style? Like you said, with somebody like Romero, when you need to set the pace. Right. I mean, look, it's a... You know, I kind of agree with that. But, like, again, everybody's different and... You don't want to get so wrapped up in the game plan that when it goes south, you kind of, you know, you don't have a contingency plan. So that's what I think that when they're talking about, you know, worry about what you're going to do. I mean, yeah, you got to worry about what you're going to do, but it's got to be game planned out. And you don't want, you know, like to worry about what the other guy's going to do to the point where it kind of stymies you or it cripples you. You know what I mean? So... Like, again, like even in the Romero, for example, if you if you get caught up in what he's going to do, you're going to end up waiting. It's going to be like a self-fulfilling prophecy, almost what happened to uh, to Rockhold. He waited, 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 and I think that was the problem. You know, if he would have just imposed his game plan and went forward, he, you saw he had success with the jab, 
And when he didn't get back up to the cage and he circled out, he looked like he was doing better, but he didn't, he wasn't consistent. And, you know, when Chris fought Romero, I thought it was even going into the third round and we did have a game plan for that. And he, he made a mistake. He shot with his head on the wrong side and obviously he paid for it. But I thought standing up wise, he definitely was getting the better of Romero and his, his footwork looked great in that fight. Um, and I, I thought, you know, if we would have stuck with what he was doing really good in that fight, he's winning that fight, you know, but you know, he, he went back to a safe spot and we really just wanted to wrestle with him to get him tired and then try to take him out standing up. So I thought he did a good job of controlling the pace and doing a pretty good job. And then uh, he made a, a critical error and obviously caused the fight. And I don't think that'll happen again. And that matchup would be totally different this time. Yeah, if, if that uh, those two happen to be the winners, Chris over over Jacare and and Yoel over Whitaker, that that certainly is an interesting storyline there. Whether or not uh, the first two rounds uh, sort of we relive those. Um, back to the sort of the, the coaching questions here. So uh, you know you you clearly are very knowledgeable about the pace of fights and clearly knowledgeable about what's going on in fights. How much time do you spend watching tapes on fighters to sort of develop this sense? and to sort of plan for upcoming fights and, and how much of, do you include your fighters in that process when you're game planning? Uh, we always look at the tape. I, 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 there are certain fights where I'll look at tape till I feel like I know exactly what the guy's going to do. Uh, looking at them with the fighters, yeah, definitely look at them. Not as much as I'm looking at them, but, um, you know, I'll record a couple of things. We'll look at it and I'll, I'll point out where I think, you know, the guy's got a deficiency and see if, you know, whoever I'm training can exploit it. You know, like, again, I always say this with the game plans, the game plan is only as good as the guy you're training. I mean, if you have a guy with no wrestling and he can't defend the takedown and that's the game plan, guess what? That game plan is, is not a game plan. So, you know, that's why I say we'll look and you know what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy. Like, yeah, what's the game plan? I don't know. What was the game plan with Barboza and Khabib to keep it standing? I, I would think no, but, you know, he didn't have the, the, the defense to do that. So you could game plan all you want for that, but you have to see what your guy can do and then see if you can strategize around that. And, you know, now, you know, there's so many people, you know, he's just trying to keep the guys healthy at this point. And the older these guys get, they're carrying injuries and then you have to work around the injuries. There's a lot that goes into it. Sometimes you got to cut the sparring down more than you want. Um, you know, I don't know if I went off on a tangent, but let me get back to it. So the the other thing is, yeah, I watch the tapes. I see, I, again, I, I get an idea of what the guy's doing, what his consistencies are. And then I, you know, I look at it with my guys and I, you know, ask them if they feel the same way I'm feeling and what they think they can do. And you know, most of the time it works out. Yeah, well, I'm actually, I love the tangent you went off because I got my next question right here. Uh, you know, we, we sort of see a lot of camps recently with guys dropping like flies. You know, AKA takes a lot of heat for that. Rarely do we yeah. see a Longo fighter drop out of a fight. What, what sort of can we attribute that to? Uh, I mean, you, you like mentioned a little bit in there that you, you're always working around that stuff. But what can we attribute to the fact that you, you, we never see one of your guys out of a fight? Oh, I don't. I don't know about that. I think that's happened. No, I don't. I don't want. I want to be honest. I, there's a couple of times where I think uh, the injuries have not a lot. It's not like you know. It's not enough to get attention of anybody like that. But it's definitely 
I think happened uh, a couple of times. But, uh, you know, the other thing that you're not seeing is that there's a lot of fights. These guys are fighting injured. You know, they just, we think we can get around it and we do it. You know what I mean? I mean, Chris Ford, uh, Machida with a broken hand, 100%, you know, fractured hand. He went to the doctor, and this is really funny because I think that was one of his best fights. But he went to the doctor. The doctor told him it wouldn't get any worse. And we stopped using it like the last three weeks. And he promised me, because, you know, it's a decision to make whether you take the fight. And he promised me, I swear I'm going to throw it in the fight. But we gave it a break. And then uh, I remember we got to Vegas and we went to hit a little bit. And he couldn't even do that. And I was really worried. And then I guess the adrenaline carried him over. And when he got back, he went to another doctor. And the doctor said, no, it was fractured. And the other guy misdiagnosed it. So if we went to another doctor, that fight probably never even happens. You know, it's a crazy thing, but th these guys do fight banged up, and sometimes you know it, sometimes you know. And I, I get criticized, like, well, you said he was healthy before the fight. I'm like, yeah, let me tell you exactly every injury the guy has before the <laughs> fight. Like, you know, like, I even, I, I, like, I'll pose it to you. You're a jersey. Like, what do you want me to say? You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm never going to tell you what's going on, and you have to be positive, but <laughs> these guys are crazy. No, you said he was healthy. Yeah, of course I said he was healthy, you know, so. I don't know, funny stuff. But uh, I think these guys do fight a little banged up. Uh, sometimes it's worse than uh, other times. But uh, for the most part, I think we're really surrounded by great doctors. We got physical therapists all over the place, you know, great strength and conditioning guys. And, we, and look, you try to do your best. Mm -hmm. And I was a, I'm a big proponent of heavy sparring. And I think we've had to cut back a little bit. But, uh, you know, my heart goes out to AK. I know Javier, and I think, look, they, they're producing champions, and I think there's a reason why. They train hard. Mm -hmm. But with training hard comes the possibility that you're going to get hurt. You know what I mean? And it's just uh, you have to you – know, it's almost – I'm going to be honest with you. It's almost like you got to cross your fingers. I mean, like the last sparring session of a camp, my heart is pounding, like pounding out of my chest, like, please don't let nothing happen. You know, we had such a good camp, and I don't know, crazy stuff. Yeah. So l let's talk about a couple more of your fighters, too, because uh, I'm interested now in, in that uh, that sort of dynamic in the gym. So we keep seeing Al Iaquinta fights. We love Al Iaquinta fights, but then we keep seeing big gaps in between them. Uh, I, I know he's got stuff on the side that he's been doing and obviously all the stuff with the UFC that seems to be going back and forth. What kind of progressions are you seeing in Al Iaquinta year to year in these big gaps uh, and do you sort of think that there would be more progress or less progress if he was fighting more often? Uh, look, I like I like staying busy. I really believe that's uh, key, and especially in this sport. And if you think about though, before Ralph took the big hiatus, I think he fought four or five times in like how many months? Sixteen months? Eighteen mm -hmm. months? I mean, he's a he's an active guy. He he needs to fight. So trust me, when he's not fighting, he's coming out of his skin, and. You know, if you're getting banged up and you don't feel like you're getting paid the right amount of money and you have people in your rear, it's it's a tough thing to combat, man. I mean, these guys, this sport is really, really physically demanding. And, I mean, there's a reason why you don't see a lot of boxers pull out with injuries because it's like one aspect of this. You know, they're not wrestling. They're not kicking. They're not catching an elbow on their instep. They're not getting thrown on their head. Their shoulder comes out, you know. They're not getting arm barred. Their arms getting tweaked. So this sport is crazy. And if you're going to do it, I really think they should be compensated. You know, he he feels like he's got a fair deal now. And the one thing with Al, 
you know, as far as progression goes, he's coming to fight. He ain't going, you know, he loves to fight. He's really technically very, very sound. And honestly, I still really believe we haven't seen the best of Ally Aquinta. I mean, Al in the gym and when he's doing things right is he's really can put things together really good. And, you know, he's, he's, he's excellent, man. He's, he's a pleasure to work with. And again, he wants to fight, you know, when he's not fighting, it's really because of something that's holding him back. And, you know, this time he had an injury and, you know, again, he didn't like the contract. And when, you know, you're, you're walking around and you're not feeling good and you feel like you're getting disrespected, that's a bad combination. So he's back on track. And, uh, I think he probably, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. He's had a very, very tough fight with Paul Felder. But I, I really like the matchup, and I think they're going to go at it, man. And uh, Al's a scrapper. Like, again, he's technically sound, and if he's on, he's really, really tough to beat. Yeah, and that, that's a super fun fight that I can't wait to see. Another fun fight uh, coming out of your Oh, that, that's, that, yeah, that's got to be a fun fight. Man. Yeah. Another fun fight yeah, I'm, I'm pumped about seeing out of your gym. It's maybe the one I'm the most excited for right now is Aljamain Sterling fighting in Atlantic City against up-and-comer Brett Johns. Uh, sort of what can you tell us about, without, you know, giving away too much, what can you tell us about Aljamain's uh, rebounding from what was kind of a, a tough and freak loss there to uh, um, Marias? Yeah, you know, look, he took that, uh, I think he dealt with that really good. I could see, you could even see after the fight, some of the posts we put up, I was worried about him, but, uh, you know, he understands as part of the game and he's with a camp that, you know, uh, we've had some we had some bad losses in the last you know couple of months, but everybody's been through it, and you're surrounded by people that you see have rebounded. I mean, I, the best example I could give you is, you know, Matt Serra's first UFC fight and gets knocked out by Shoney Carter. He has to look at that highlight reel for the next ten years, yeah. and he got right back on track. He fought uh, Eves Edwards, who at the time was, you know really really good still you know it was always good but you know back then he was you know i think at the height of probably of his uh career and you know he won that fight and he went on to become a champion after really suffering a devastating loss you know what i mean so these guys know that you know in this sport sometimes you know they say you know you need defeat to grow and all those experiences and i think you know Again, it's, we have a really great team. Everybody's close, and I think they have great, you know, talk about, you know, going to a psychologist or a sports psychologist or whatever, but it's it's kind of built in, man. Everybody's been there, and they're, they're, they're very close, and they, they get each other through it. So I expect Aljamain to rebound uh, really, really well from that. And that, was, that, that sucked, man, but it was kind of so quick, and, again, it was uh, – you know, a mistake or a free fluke. I don't know what it was, but uh, I think, you know, those things are better than taking a prolonged beating. You know what I mean? So I think he'll have a harder time coming back from that than some other guys that take just a, you know, a 15-minute beating, you know, where mentally it's just, you know, he could probably write this off in his head as just a fluke, whether it was or it wasn't. But uh, I, uh, so far he shows no signs of anything. You know, he's he's... He's back in the gym, and there's a guy that's on a scale of one to ten. He's at about a three where his talent is. If he ever gets to put it together, I'd like to see him really stay busy. He's he's he can do everything. That guy, really, really talented guy, and I just want to see him get back on track and 
you know, accomplish what, what he wants to accomplish in this sport. But I'd, I'd like to see him busier for sure. Mm-hmm. So th- that's that's a great point there, too, about him having not quite reached what he's his potential is, because that leads right into my final question. And I've held you about as twice as long as I said I was going to. Uh, but I got to ask. No, you no, no, fair. no, I'm good. Uh, I, I, yeah, go all right. Well, I got to ask you this this one last question for sure. So you, you coach a lot of fighters, obviously. Uh, and I'm sure there's even more that just come through your gym for sparring and what else not. What is the one name that you think the world of MMA does not know about now, but will know in the near future? Wow. I don't know about that. Uh, I mean, you know who I've been working with who I really like is, um, I don't know if you, if you know this guy. I mean, I don't know. I didn't even know him when he walked in, but uh, a Japanese kid, uh, Uka Sasaki. Yeah. Oh, do you, do you know who he is? Yeah, he's a 125 pound. I really think he's going to, I got to tell you, man, he's, I really, uh, kind of bonded with him and, uh, I don't know if people know who he is yet, but between him and we have that kid from Georgia, Marab Davishelli, mm-hmm. I think those are two names that, uh, you saw Marab, um, you know, fight Frankie science. He lost mm-hmm. the split decision. And I, I, I kind of thought he won, but mm-hmm. it's neither here nor there. But, uh, again, and there's a case where he really had the flu. I shouldn't have let him fall. But, you know, these these Georgians and these Russian guys, man, their mentality is just go, 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 go. You can't slow them down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't stop this guy in the gym. But uh, <laughs> I expect him to have a really good fight with uh, Augusto Mendes. So on that card, we have Aljamain Sterling, uh, Suzaki, and uh, – Marab Davishelli. So I, I, I think those two names. I think that 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 night they're gonna they're gonna come and they're gonna shine through. I don't know why, but I mean Suzaki's got a very very tough fight with uh, Magomed Bilatov. I think his name is, yep. but I think he's looking really good and he's a pleasure to work with. And I think he's if he stays on track, he's gonna make some waves. And I think Marab's gonna be a handful for anybody at 135. So I think those are two guys that you kind of know but don't know, and that's. I think uh, if I had to pick them, I, I like those two guys. I, I love those picks, too, because I, I love uh, especially the ground game of those two guys. And I can imagine just working with you guys out in uh, Long Island. Their, their striking is only getting immensely better every single time out. Uh, Ray, thank you so much for the time. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, make sure that you check out that fight card in Atlantic City to see all of his handiwork and keep an eye on when Chris Weidman will be booked again. Ray, thanks so much once again. Awesome, buddy. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. And those interviews were, of course, brought to you by another of our esteemed sponsors. I, of course, am talking about GarageFit. Look, we don't all have time to get to the gym and BJJ practice, but that doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality workout. By going to garagegym.net right now, you can pick up all of the essentials for getting an awesome workout in your garage or home workout area. They've got weighted vests, heavy ropes, and so much more. Check them out at garagegym.net, and I'm sure they'll hook you up with a very sweet setup. And we, of course, are Dave and Dan with FlowCombat.com's Top Turtle MMA. That was Cody Stamen and Ray Longo. Dave, what'd you think? All right, well, uh, let's take it from Cody Stamen first. This is a pretty big uh, opportunity for him going against Brian Caraway. Uh, Caraway almost at this point feels a little gatekeeper-ish in the division, so a, a win over him would be huge for this young man, no? Yeah, and he, he's only had two two fights so far in the UFC. 
but he's like supremely confident. I've never talked to a guy who seems that sure of himself, but in like a very calm way, he thinks he's going to smash Brian Caraway this weekend. And he's got like a pretty much a, a clear plan of how he plans on getting to the top. Yeah, so pretty interesting as far as prospects go. And then when it comes to Ray Longo, my man from Strong Island, I could listen to him talk MMA all day. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably why I kept him twice as long as I we planned on. You know, our interviews usually are right around 10, 15 minutes. I think I had him 20, 25 minutes, and he I felt like he could have talked for another six hours. I mean, I, he said things that I didn't know, and, and his insight on, on game planning is just so intriguing to me. Um, cause he, he gives you an insight that most coaches won't give you, uh, which is, you know, just awesome in an interview subject, awesome in a coach. Uh, and he's obviously got a fan here. Yeah, absolutely. So he is uh, Ray Longo MMA on Twitter. He is the Godfather. He is the man. We love Ray Longo and I can't wait to have him back on. Uh, so we will move on now. It was uh, UFC Orlando this past weekend. Uh, and really a great fight card. The UFC's put on a string of nice fight cards recently for as, you know... Very uh, nice. Yeah, for they're taking some flack just because it hasn't been the marquee names per se. Maybe the hype hasn't been there like in, in you know years before. And I think part of that is there's just not... There's no star at the top right now, to be quite honest with you, because we don't know what's going on with Jones. I mean, Dana White's tweeting pictures of Brock. He might come back, but even if so, he's not going to be a regular. We have no idea what's really going on with Connor and Ronda Rousey's in WWE acting poorly and almost crying during promos. So I think, you know, let's say two, three years ago or even last year, uh, you know, you had... Uh, in 2017, GSP coming back, Jones coming back. Those are almost like tent poles, as they say. Mm-hmm. And there hasn't really been a tent pole this year. So I feel like a lot of people are saying, oh, the UFC's boring. It's this, it's that. But pretty much every card this year has been pretty fucking good. Yeah, well, and I think the difference is, too, is, is like you said, those, those like really big of feeling events are not there. So all the people who were like Fox headliners and like smaller pay-per-view headliners are now the big pay-per-view headliners and the people who are the fight card headliners are now the Fox pay-per-view or the Fox headliners. And then we're getting like, you know, fight pass headliners that we're not expecting. But the difference is, is the matchmaking is supremely good. I mean, like look at the main event from this past week. If you told me that UFC on Fox was going to have Jeremy Stevens versus Josh Emmett a year ago, I would have been like, what? Mm -hmm. But Look at what it produced. You know, Emmett got the near knockout in the first round. Freaking Steven storms back with one of the most violent knockouts I've ever seen in the second round. Uh, and, and just the whole card had those types of fights on him. Yeah. I mean, Sam Alvey was fucking phenomenal against some <laughs> Polish guy I'd never heard of. Well, you know, I want to pick it up from what you said about Stevens and Emmett. An unlikely headliner actually popped a pretty good rating, so maybe they're doing something right. Who knows? But it obviously ended in a little bit of controversy. You know, you saw Dominic Cruz, who's a teammate of Jeremy Stevens, defending him for what might have been illegal blows at the end of the fight. Mm -hmm. Uh, DC was kind of getting on him. I think for sure it was an illegal blow, but once he had him stunned, I just can't really expend energy expound energy you know like going too crazy over it uh, yeah Here, here's what i think is going to happen is that it'll probably get reviewed it'll probably get turned into a no contest in my opinion because of the illegal blows and the ufc will probably go on just as if jeremy stevens had won anyway 
Okay. It I, will change. It will change none of their matchmaking. I was also going to say I don't think it's going to get overturned because I don't think the foul was egregious, egregious enough to overturn it, and Stevens was on his way to a win anyway. Don't you think? Yeah, I, I think it was, but for some reason, I just got a feeling because of the uproar around this one that I feel like it gets overturned. I, I, feel I could like, be wrong. Yeah, I feel like these athletic commissions pr- pretty much always stick to their guns and defend their mm-hmm. refs, and I don't yeah. know. But it doesn't even matter. It got us talking about what are the worst illegal blows in UFC history. <laughs> and we're not saying that Stevens was anywhere close to the worst, but it just got our juices flowing. So it leads to a great combat countdown this week. What were the worst illegal blows in the UFC history? Are you ready, Gumby? I am ready. It's time for the Combat Countdown. All right, kicking off our countdown, number five. It's Jason Knight doing his best Mike Tyson impersonation and biting Gabrielle Benitez. Yeah, Ultimate Fight Night Swanson versus Ortega, which was very recently. Uh, Gabriel Benitez shooting a takedown. Jason Knight uh, just decides he's going to take a little bite out of a finger uh, to... <laughs> To make sure it, it doesn't go through. Um, and also, I, I noted when we were going through uh, the things we wanted to put on this list, there are some very notable bites in UFC history. This is not the only one. Mike Kyle also bit Wes Sims way back in the day. And on The Ultimate Fighter, James Chaney took a bite out of John Manley's chest trying to get out of a guillotine. Hilarious. Uh, you know, I, I could almost kind of feel like why this happens. It's like fighting can be so extinctual and you're just in the heat of the moment. And I almost feel like it's a natural reflex when under duress, you see something, you see a finger, you just reach out and you bite that thing. Yeah, and it was late in a fight, too. He was definitely exhausted. You know, one of those things. Right, right. Um, And, of course, uh, Jason Knight, this essentially went punished uh he got deducted a point and ended up losing a unanimous decision so the point didn't really factor into it it was a unanimous decision he clearly mm. lost multiple rounds but you know in this case the uh the he got punished he got punished so we're one for one on punishments and you will see that that is not a theme throughout this entire list <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to number four and it's alessio sakura pummeling the back of patrick cote's head multiple times after repeated warnings from the ref yeah, he just kept punching it. That's UFC 154 if you're looking to go back to it on your Fight Pass subscription. Uh, he punches him in the back of the head three or four times, instant DQ uh, on Patrick Cote, who couldn't continue fighting, uh, which is pretty sad. And, and that is the second punished defense here because he loses the fight, Alessio Sakara does. You know, this is at this moment I want to bring up the non-worst uh, illegal blow in UFC history, which is I'm always reminded of John Jones getting that DQ loss against Matt <laughs> I thought Hamill. about putting that in this list. But it wasn't <laughs> real. I mean, it, it was such bullshit. <laughs> you know what else is kind Especially because of... Matt Hamill was already dead. <laughs> you, know what, you know what else I think was kind of bullshit? Like when you play the momentum game of a fight, in Brock Lesnar, Frank Mir won. Steve Mazzagatti. Oh, he uh, stood him up. He stood him up because, <laughs> you know, uh, Lesnar maybe got one quick punch to the back of Mir's head as he was trying to pummel his head, had a grounded opponent. It's just like, come on, man. You could let that one punch go. I thought that was a premature stand up. Yeah, and it was nowhere near as bad as Sakara. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, thank you for bringing it back on track, because it yeah. was nowhere near as bad as Sakara. This was an actual thing that needed to be DQ'd, not like John yep. Jones. All right, Absolutely. we'll move to number three, pretty famous one, uh, gruesome one, really. It's Michael Bisping near kneeing a clearly downed Jorge Rivera. 
Yeah, this was UFC 127. Michael Bisping, Jorge Rivera, in kind of a good fight here. I thought Rivera had control of the fight. Uh, Bisping knees him in the head. He looks a little woozy. Uh, the complete trooper he is. He continues fighting. It doesn't go punished in this case. Michael Bisping goes on to win the fight, and it sort of derails Jorge Rivera's career, which is sad. Damn, son. Now you're getting me all depressed. We'll move on to number <laughs> two. And this feels like it just happened yesterday because basically it just happened yesterday or two weeks ago at UFC 221. It's Li Jing Lang eye-gouging Jake Matthews. Yeah, uh, at UFC 221, Jake Matthews has got a uh, guillotine, and it looks pretty damn tight. So Li Jing Lang, the leech as they like to call him, reaches up, goes you know knuckle deep with three of his fingers in the left and looks like maybe a little bit in the right eye of Jake Matthews. Uh, absolutely terrible. This one also not punished. <laughs> so we're now uh, two and two in the punishment category. Uh, not only was this one not punished, he got fight of the night. 50K for some eye gouging. Yeah, and that is just, I mean, it was so egregious. I just, I can't believe he got away without a plank. I, I thought it should something. have been a DQ instantly. I, instantly, correct. Yeah, And, and, and he, he wound up not winning the fight. So, so good for Jake Matthews, but that's fucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, we'll move then to number one. It's, uh, we're going old school here. We're going into, this was, I mean, pre-UFC 100. This is pre-Ronda and Connor era. So for you new fans, I'm sorry to Something make to you, go back and watch. I, I know. <laughs> this is like a little history lesson from two old cats. Uh, but it is <laughs> Wes Sims stomping Frank Mir for the immediate DQ at UFC 43. Yeah, UFC 43, uh, Wes Sims just decides to a down Frank Mir. He's just going to stomp on his face, which you can say what you want about Jason Knight, it being instinctual. Wes Sims, it is not instinctual to stomp on somebody's head uh, in the middle of a fight. <laughs> so you can go ahead and throw it in your Google machine right now. Uh, this stomp is just vicious. He had yeah. ample time to react and see that uh, Mir was down. It's funny, Mir, I think, was maybe thinking about like trying to hook an arm and go for an armbar. So he's completely on his back. All his weight is basically on his shoulder. So he is in as prone a position as you could be up against the cage with nowhere to go. And Wes Sims is just curb stomping him. Yeah, Wes Sims uh, both gets an honorable mention for being bitten and the number one spot this week. <laughs> so circular. So we'll we'll run it back. Number five, worst illegal blows in UFC history was Jason Knight biting Gabriel Benitez. Number four, Alessio Sakura pummeling the back of Patrick Cote's head for the instant DQ. Number three, Michael Bisping kneeing a clearly downed Jorge Rivera but not being punished for it, going on to get the win. Sometimes justice is not served in this cruel world number two just happened Li Jing Long eye gouging Jake Matthews he ended up losing the fight but uh, also got a fight night bonus out of it and number one Wes Sims stomping Frank Mir if you've never seen that go ahead and google it Gumby let's move on it's UFC 222 this weekend and I imagine we have a fine sponsor who wants to sponsor our breakdown yeah, our breakdown this week is brought to you by Dead Frog Brewery. Dead Frog is a small batch Canadian craft brewery right next to Vancouver that brings you high quality craft beers with no preservatives and no pasteurization. Uh, so head on over to deadfrog.ca to check out the beers that they've got available right now, or you can head to your le nearest liquor store and pick some up today. I wish I was just downing a Dead Frog brewery right now, but I try not to drink in podcast. Maybe I'll crack <laughs> one open when it's over. So Gumby, we're going to do, uh, as we like to do here, we like to count things down. Let's hear Gumby's top three interesting matchups for this weekend. What are you thinking on some of these fights? 
All right, so my number one uh, that I'm most interested in, I'm going to skip the main event because that is not interesting to me. I'm going to go with Frankie Edgar over Brian Ortega here. Frankie Edgar is the minus 185 favorite to the plus 160 of Brian Ortega. I like Frankie Edgar's versatility, and I like his ability to stay away from Brian Ortega's subgame. Uh, the number two fight I'm going to go with is Cody Stamen versus Brian Caraway. We talked to Cody Stamen earlier. Super confident, and even though he's the unranked opponent going against the number seven guy in the division, he's the negative 160 favorite and I like him in that favorites role because I usually uh, like to pick a dog or two but in this case he feels like a dog even though he's not. Uh, I think he stays away from uh, Caraway's wrestling and winds up getting the win. And then my number three is one a little bit further down the line it's Ketlin Vieira who's a top ranked Bantamweight right now getting Kat Zingano in her comeback. I'm going to go with Kat Zingano because she has got to be hungry having been away as long as she has. And I also just think her striking game, if she can stay away from the grappling of Vieira, is just too much for her. So my two top three are Frankie Edgar over Brian Ortega, Cody Stamen over Brian Caraway, and Kat Zingano over Ketlin Vieira. All right. So Ketlin Vieira, you would rank as a better, I mean, she's a black belt in BJJ, a black belt in judo, but Kat is also a pretty good grappler, but you feel like Vieira, 9-0, and just coming off an arm triangle choke over McMahon, has the advantage in the grappling game. Oh, 100%. I think especially when you look back at, you know, like, so she outgrappled Sarah McMahon, who is like an Olympic level wrestler. Uh, so, so clearly, I think she's got lots of chops on the ground. When you think about Zingano, I think Zingano is better in the clinch. Mm. So I think you, you're probably going to see a whole bunch of knees here from Zingano, short range elbows, um, trying to kind of try to dirty box her up. And I, I think that's where the money is for Kat Zingano. Hey, I just I'm looking up Sarah McMahon's record because you mentioned her name. And this is one of those like freaky kind of stats. But I just noticed this. She is two and two in her career via arm triangle meaning she's won two <laughs> fights via arm triangle and she's lost two fights via arm triangle i mean that's kind of crazy right like if that ain't a rear naked choke that's not an arm bar the arm triangle i you know i'd put it probably fourth or fifth on the depth chart of most used mma submissions so yeah she know. she is a wrestler though and th- those definitely come more pop commonly offensively for wrestlers yes. you know like we saw brock lesnar use it so like it, it's it's like the go-to for a wrestler but it's weird that she's been caught in it twice too that's being my a thing wrestler. right because yeah. you would kind of just feel like sometimes the people who are really good at arm triangles you would think they know the defense really well anyway yeah. just one of those weird stats i think we just came up with an article for flow combat down the road that all being <laughs> said I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. This has been Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We thank you so much for listening. Head on over to wherever a podcast is being streamed. Give us a subscription. Give us a download. Write a review. It helps keep the lights on at the Top Turtle Podcast Studio. You can follow us on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. Email the show Top Turtle MMA at Gmail. We're accepting both love and hate mail. Thank you so much to our sponsors, and thank you so much to you, our fans, for listening. We'll be back next week.